Look at my butt. Show number 231 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. And here we are. Here we are. Thankfully, we are in the 23rd century. The 21st century is 200 years behind us. We don't have to worry about it anymore. No, as many people on uh, the social media are saying, 2016 is completely a dumpster fire. Oh, I, I agree with that. It gets worse. It just keeps getting worse. I know. We've lost so many really, really good, you know, celebrities and, and you know, cultural heroes. Yes. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's basically it. So next week is Thanksgiving, and <laughs> I don't really know what we're going to be giving thanks for, except maybe that we still have food to eat. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. That that's gonna be it. Yeah, that's it. Pretty much it. Anyway. Anyway. Let's talk about Star Trek because I really like Star Trek. I do too. I like it a lot. And um, what were they showing? Oh, last night they were showing um, Changeling. Oh, you that's are the cool. creator. Yes. <laughs> yes. I watched Operation Annihilate a couple days ago, oh. and I could not help saying over and over and over again, "I held those things. <laughs> I put one on my back." <laughs> <laughs> we both have goofy pictures of us lying on the ground with one on our back. We've been felled by space creatures. <laughs> exactly. You know, that episode, sorry to get derailed right at the beginning no, of the show. No, we always but do. It's not, tradition. Not having seen it for a really, really long time, um, that episode lacks a lot of plot. <laughs> it really does. It has about enough plot for half an hour, and then the rest of it is all people wandering around. <laughs> I think they could have done a much better job filling that up with actual. I mean, literally, it's people wandering around. There's a scene when Spock goes back down to the planet uh-huh. after he's gotten, you know, bitten by the thing, and he has to collect a sample. It's like five screen minutes of him wandering around these rooms and looking at stuff and kind of peering around the corners, and it's like, oh, get on with it. And that's unusual for first season episode. It really is, and I don't know what the deal is with that, but it it was just astonishing to me how much filler there was in that particular episode. It's still a good episode, you know, Uh a lot of tension and then the stuff with Spock getting blinded and all that, but whoa, lots and lots of filler. (laughs) Does Spock say, I am quite blind? Yes, he does. Okay. That always reminded me of in the salt vampire episode where he says, my legs are quite broken. Oh, really? Yes, oh, there's I... no such thing as quite broken. <laughs> they're broken or they're, they're not. They're scraped. They're something else, you know. Slightly but, broken. But they would, they would throw these stupid things into his dialogue to make him sound smarter. Yeah. That really, if you thought about it, you went, that was just stupid. Wouldn't a Vulcan communicate his information in the least number of words possible? That's right. As efficiently and logically as yeah, possible. Yeah, my legs are quite broken. I am quite blind, you know. Quite blind. I am also quite blind. Yes. That's what he says. Yes. When he smacks into the table. Yep. And McCoy is so upset. So upset. Oh, poor McCoy. You know, it's actually a really good DeForest Kelly episode. He's so good in that. Yes. You know, he there's like a lot for him to go through, and he gets to do a complete range of emotions and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great McCoy episode. Well, you know, um, uh, uh, Nomad is mm-hmm. a great episode for Uhura. That's right. She gets a lot to do. Well, you know, she's singing, and so Nomad wipes her memory. 
and then she she gets this great scene that she is really good in where um Chapel is teaching her to read again mm-hmm. and she's just you know she She's just very, very believable. And, you know, when she becomes frustrated with it, she starts talking Swahili and, you know, waving yeah. her hands and everything and, you know, having so much trouble with the English. It's just really, you know, she has a good scene there, a good solid scene. Yep. It was very good. Very, very good. Uh, but that wasn't what we were going to talk about. No, I totally forgot what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about, okay, so there's a museum in Seattle that's called... Uh, the Museum of Pop Culture, mm-hmm. and it's a leading-edge nonprofit museum. I don't know what that means. They have all kinds of cool stuff there, and uh, it's beautifully designed, and they have different exhibitions that are, um, you know, they come and go. And the main thing is right now they have a great Star Trek oh. exhibition, which is running through the beginning of March of 2017. And I would love to go. We, we were trying to figure out if we could go together, but it doesn't look like that's no, going to happen. No, you're going to have to go for us or, yeah, or we'll which, get one of our roving reporters. I know. It makes me sad because this is exactly the sort of thing we should be seeing yes, together. Yes, I know. Um, the reason that it's so cool is what they have on display are pieces of the set, like the actual pieces of the mm-hmm. set from TOS, that is, not just recreated things. And I found out about this because there was a really long article on um, Star Trek.com about the guys who did the restoration of the Navigator and, um, you know, where the Astrogator is. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, and they kept calling it Astrogator. And every time in that article it said Astrogator, I laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> I think they should call it the Navigatron. I, I like that much better. Um, <laughs> So it says, discover the beloved series all over again in this fully immersive exhibit featuring more than 100 artifacts and props from the five Star Trek television series, spinoffs, and films, including set pieces from the original series like Kirk's chair and the navigation console on display for the first time to the public, Um, original series costumes, and the six-foot USS Enterprise filming model for Star Trek Next Generation. And they've got some photographs here showing you. You can't touch any of this stuff, of course. Of course. But they do have it in a, a very nice uh, sort of fishbowl arrangement. So you can walk all the way around it and, and see it. And it looks really cool. Oh. So the article about how they restored the navigation console was really interesting. Um, it was like when we were looking at those articles about how they restored the shuttlecraft. Right. And then how they did the, the Enterprise model at the Smithsonian. Somebody had, you know, the original set and it had passed through several collectors and it was in horrible shape there were only a few little electronics pieces left and it was mostly just you know scarred up plywood Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me but they did a wonderful job of restoring it and when it's original stuff you know that makes me all gushy because I just (laughs) love to look at it and be like this is the thing this is the where they sat this is where Kirk Butt actually was (laughs) that really gets me so anyway, it's at this museum, and it looks really, really cool. And if I get the chance to go there, I will definitely okay. do it. But listeners, if any of you are in the Seattle area, please go and tell us about it, because we'd love to know. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, if you're in the Seattle area and, and want to um, have Lena stay over at your house to help <laughs> her save money and see this, let us know. That, that is true. You know, it is the kind of thing where I could just go there for a day. I don't even have to stay over. Right, right. Because it's only like an hour to fly up there. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. It could be a day trip just <laughs> to go to this museum. Yeah. I'd do and, it. And you know how you'll know you're there? 
You'll see the school buses. The school bus? Oh, (laughs) that's how you find Star Trek exhibits. That's right. That's exactly right. Many, many little kids. (laughs) Okay. Next in our news, update on Axanar. Axanar. Yeah, it's a kind of a big update, actually. Okay. I have to read quite a bit of this because some of it's very funny. It is good. I like the person who wrote this. Yes. This is the opening paragraph. On Wednesday, a federal judge was told that while Paramount Pictures and CBS have produced a, quote-unquote, limited number of Star Trek television episodes and films, quote, they do not own a copyright (laughs) to the idea of Star Trek or the Star Trek universe as a whole. Uh Uh-huh. Boing, 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 you know, hammer hitting (laughs) you on the head face. Um, This is... Uh, one of the arguments from the Axanar people in their, their legal suit is that um, they don't own it. <laughs> That's so weird. I know. Why would, why would you say that? There's also, Well, the next paragraph has a, another amusing thing in it. Yes. Uh, where they're calling... Uh, prelude to Axanar, a mockumentary. Yes. See, I think that's an incorrect use of that word. I right think there. so too. Yes. <laughs> it's not a mockumentary. So um, they've all handed in their their desp their desk their depositions, uh-huh. and let's see. Um, what does it say here? It's, you know, the Star Trek rights holders have long tolerated and even encouraged fan-made work, but have drawn the line on what the defendants have made. And for the first time in the sci-fi franchise's history, a judge will be articulating whether some of the Star Trek fans have crossed the line. Crossed the line. Oh, it says crossed the neutral zone. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I misspoke. Neutral zone isn't capitalized, though. That's so bad. Oh, I know. They, they just get these things so fucked up. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, oh and here's an, a thing. Okay. What Axanar was about, it was on the, the backstory of Garth of Izar. Mm-hmm. And here, the de- character is described as a war veteran with psychological issues resulting from his traumatic experiences during the four years war between the United Federation of Planets and the Klingon Empire and otherwise abandoned by plaintiffs in their more recent episodes <laughs> of films. So it really does make it sound like CBS left him to rot on a planet. Oh. Poor Garth. I feel so bad for him. Forgotten, sitting in the corner, just wasting No, away. I know, because, you know, CBS and Paramount. Um, but it says, you know, most of the other characters are original, but they do have features like Vulcans and Klingon language and, and all the other things that are recognizable to, to all of us. Um, let's see. The defendants say the copyright claims are premature, and they also say Axanar isn't substantially similar to what Paramount and CBS actually own under copyright. I think they're really grasping at straws. I completely agree. Um, The interesting thing about this news is that both sides filed for summary judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Like the defendants, the um, the Axanar people, are saying all these ridiculous things that you just read and, and basically asking the judge to just, you know, find for us because we're not doing anything wrong and we're not doing anything that's even close to being Star Trek. <laughs> and, and really, I mean, that's what they're saying. Yeah. And then the Paramount side has also filed for summary judgment going, look, <laughs> they were trying to make money off of Star Trek, and you can't do that. Yes. So it's, 
I don't know what's going to happen next. This is such a wild ride, you know, Mm -hmm. with all the things that have been happening and um, the things that they've been asking for and all the people that they took depositions from. What the heck, man? It's crazy. Yeah. And the only thing on the Axinar side that they have said that might even present any form of legal argument is saying the works are transformative. Yeah. And if, if they are, that's something different, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the whole, you know, gone with the wind, done went with the wind thing that, you yeah, know, they found yeah. that was transformative. It was commentary on the original text. And, you know, so there's something that you could argue. But from what it sounds like, it sounds like they've written their own original story, and I'm not sure how much that is transformative. What do you think? I don't think it is because they're not – it. Axonar, as far as I understand it, I mean, it's not a commentary. It's not satire. It's mm-hmm. not a takeoff. It, it's using actual characters in the actual Star Trek universe, set in the actual Star Trek universe, using Star Trek concepts like the Federation and the technology of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a Star Trek story. It would be a story that you could imagine paramount actually making with very little adjustment mm-hmm. so that's star trek how is it not star yeah. trek it's not a transformative work it doesn't take something and make it into something else it it just is it's the same thing yeah um they this is also interesting they pointed to the testimony of christian gossett who directed prelude to axanar uh-huh. and when asked whether his work infringed upon star trek property he answered yes in that it is an unlicensed filmed entertainment that uses countless elements of the Star Trek fictional world without, yeah, unlicensed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much unlicensed. So, uh, you know, it, it seems like their, uh, their huge error was getting into the amount of money that they did. Mm-hmm. And then from everything that people have been saying, using that money for things that they were never supposed to, to use it for, like, oh, buying a studio, for example, you know, that mm-hmm. was just too much. And it, the amount of money was such that Paramount just couldn't ignore it. I mean, right. I, I feel like my feelings have changed so much about this since it began, because at first, you know, I, I was very much in the, hey, let's let fan stuff be fan stuff. But the more I read about what they've been doing and the money and what they did with the money and what they were planning on doing. It just seems like there was never any way that they were going to get away with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But here is a a, a thing I really like. Um, It's talking about the effect of the use on the potential market. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, who is this quoting? Well, maybe it'll tell me. Oh, it's the defendant's brief. Okay. While there is no evidence of a negative market impact on plaintiff's works, there is evidence of increased and continued enthusiasm for plaintiff's works stemming directly from defendant's works because defendant's works provide free promotion, I believe this, for plaintiff's franchise, states the defendant's brief. Moreover... Star Trek fans have produced and disseminated fan fiction for over 50 years without complaint. And rather than encouragement from, from plaintiffs, plaintiffs have benefited and rather, and rather with encouragement from plaintiffs. Plaintiffs have benefited from the unpaid and often unacknowledged labor of fans who have helped to maintain engagement in plaintiffs' works during leaner years in plaintiffs' cycle of production. I completely agree with that. Well, that yeah. Is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But the difference is nobody who was writing fan fiction did a Kickstarter to raise a million dollars and then buy a printing press. Right. (laughs) This is true. That, I think, is the difference. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Who knows what is going to happen next? It's in a judge's hands now. Well, and, you know, you never really do know, but I would really say that I don't think the Axonar people have a prayer, and they have really poisoned the well. Yeah, I agree with that. This is true. So... Good going, Axanar. Yeah. <laughs> Good going. Enjoy, okay. enjoy that uh, movie studio you bought. <laughs> yeah, really. Really. They can't pay for anymore. Yep. Uh, okay, so here's some newsy news. Okay, newsy so, news. Yes, which people probably have heard by now. It's a little bit old. Which is that um, Brian Fuller is no longer the showrunner on Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Because he was already doing two other shows, including American Gods, and... Um, probably was going to have a nervous breakdown. So, yeah. Uh, there are other people who have stepped in. He's still going to be an executive producer. So he's going to be there and he's already written the first two scripts. So that's really good. Uh, I think as we mentioned before, they pushed back the premiere date from January to May. Probably <laughs> a really good idea. Well, they haven't announced casting yet. They have not announced casting, especially the lead. And yeah. you would think that they would have cast the lead by now. So who knows? Maybe it's the kind of... Uh, you know, Doctor Who thing where they actually have cast the lead, but they're just not saying it. Maybe, maybe, but I don't know. Uh, you know, CBS is so fucked up. They are. On how they, they really handle are. Star Trek and everything. I mean, think how they handled or didn't handle the 50th anniversary. Yeah, they're, they're idiots. They're total yeah. idiots. So there's that. Um, I hope that his influence continues to be felt because... Yeah, you know, he's he's a good guy, and we were all really happy that he was going to be in charge of this. Yeah. Uh, in other Discovery news, yeah. there was an article at treknews.net um, because, let's see, uh, one of the producers uh, discussed the upcoming Star Trek show and how it may differ from its predecessor. So this is CBS Interactive CEO Jim Lanzone, and he just made these comments and I don't even know why this is news so he said it's possible much like the origin much like original programs on HBO and Netflix it could contain swearing and nudity and uh, he says we could do that uh, as long as it serves the story okay um well I gotta say there was they went with um, Enterprise. They went about as far with nudity as they could, and it yes. did not serve the story. No, it was completely gratuitous. Absolutely gratuitous. And yeah. the movies, you know, they don't do nudity, but they had Carol Marcus in her underwear for no reason. Yep, also completely gratuitous. Yeah, so, so I don't, yeah. I don't think they've got, you know, they know where that line is. I hope so. I really, really hope that people are making better decisions than they did there. Yeah. The only reason I even bother to mention this article is because it's about nudity and swearing. So the very the first illustration of it is the picture of uh, the Vulcan lady from Enterprise. Paul. Yeah. Uh, who was getting a, a back rub or something from uh, 
one of the other cast members and she's basically naked. I don't know if she's naked from the waist down, but she's not wearing a shirt and she's got her hands no, covering the, the, her No, the whole thing, boobs. I know what this is because oh, I watched you do? the first episode of that awful okay. show, which was whenever you <laughs> beamed out to somewhere or whatever, when you came back, you had to completely strip down and somebody had to rub you all over with disinfectant. Oh my God, that's so stupid. Okay, yeah. so that's what that scene is from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you scroll down a little bit further and what do you find? You find what? our man in the oh. rip a shirt ever it's he's ripped shirt he's showing a generous amount of chest uh he's dirty got a little he's blood bloody, yeah got a little blood coming out his shirt is just so ripped up and i was like this just proves the thing that we have said so many <laughs> times which is when you have an article about star trek and you want more clicks you want more <laughs> views what do you do you put in a picture of kirk do you know what because yes that's another media conquered clickbait (laughs) yes absolutely i completely agree with you and it's true kirk is the the clickiest of (laughs) baits. he really is and the fact that they chose you know this is an article about nudity so what do they do they have to choose a picture of kirk with his shirt basically ripped off why they didn't choose the 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 scroll down down picture (laughs) that would have been better um it also hugely amused me that when I opened this image in a new tab because mm-hmm. I wanted to download it, the actual name of the image is Kirk Ripped Shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Not Rippidist? <laughs> Not Rippidist, but it's Kirk hyphen ripped hyphen shirt. That is JPEG, pretty close. <laughs> which just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. Yes. So funny. Yes. So there you go. Um, you know, you want more clicks, put a picture of Ripped Shirt Kirk in there. <laughs> And and he's not even mentioned. This is another one where <laughs> yeah. it's a whole article about Star Trek. Shatner and Kirk are never mentioned in this article. Never. You don't have to. The picture says it all. <laughs> you know what the picture says? You can uh, be a source of sexual fantasy for 50 years and never fully take your clothes off or swear. That's Well, he did swear when he said, let's get the hell out of here. I know, but, you know. And... If it, you know, if the show does turn out to be like that, to have some nudity and have some swearing, no matter how how mild, I predict there there is going to be a huge backlash. Not because it's swearing or nudity on TV, but because it's Star Trek, and so yeah. many people feel that's a family show. Yeah. They want to share it with their kids. So mm-hmm. if they do that, I think they're taking a big risk. I agree. It, it's you know the purpose of putting Discovery on all access is not to make it you know. Uh, what star trek at night star trek after dark yeah that's that. <laughs> are you that's, sure <laughs> i i don't think so i don't think that's what it's supposed to be i mean if you want that you can buy those star trek porn films yes. that we watch yes I guess. <laughs> and we were mocked for watching them for the plot it's true <laughs> even though we were we uh, were we actually were well the sex is boring it was very boring. The only interesting thing about the sex was that the green girl's body makeup was coming off on Kirk yes. in interesting places. Yes, and, and her glitter. That was Her yeah, glitter, that's that right. Yeah. Good. Anyway, so you should all go look at this picture because it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It of is. Him. It's wonderful. Look at him. Look at his little blood coming out of his mouth. I and he's got know. dirt all over him. Oh, I him. just want to kiss it all and make it better. Oh, <laughs> and his, his beautiful lion eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will never stop thinking that. Never, <laughs> never, never, never. 
Uh, okay, do we have time for one more piece of news? Because yes. we have a lot of things to discuss. Uh, yes, in, we in absolutely the do have half. time. What do you got? Uh, well, I want to talk about the Roddenberry Vault oh, okay. one more time. <laughs> so this is being released uh, in December, and as I think I had mentioned on the show, I think I've decided I'm not going to buy it just because mostly it's 12 episodes, which I have in many, many different mm, forms. Okay. And the interesting stuff will be the documentaries, which people will put up on YouTube That's or whatever, true. so yeah. we'll get to watch them. Uh, but this is... <laughs> The new Roddenberry Vault sizzle reel. Like, <laughs> like <please>. it's steak. <laughs> oh, God. It's, who are you people? Why are you calling it a sizzle reel? This is on StarTrek.com. It's so stupid. <laughs> but it's just Rod Roddenberry talking about what's going to be in it and doing a little shilling for it. And what's nice about it is that they actually show some of the footage that's going to be in those documentaries. So... The clips are all very faded, but they're still pretty good. You know, they're not scratched mm -hmm. up or anything, which is nice. And it looks really interesting. I, I am very, very, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, anxious to see what these deleted scenes and little clips are because it looks cool. There is a longish clip in it at, at about 20 seconds in of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in a deleted scene from Paradise Syndrome. And they're walking along someplace in, you know, Ventura County and Kirk's talking about uh, you know how long has it been since we've seen these flowers and it's something that happens right before uh, the actual opening of the episode where they are still outside on the planet looking around at stuff and it's and Kirk, the paradise syndrome Did yeah you paradise syndrome okay. yeah Kirk has the biggest EVE you have ever seen oh my god I, yes I just, I can't believe it. And we had noted that in the actual opening to mm -hmm. Paradise Syndrome when he's standing there. And here it is again. So clearly it was all filmed on the same day. But it's very apparent. Even with the film as old and faded as it was, <laughs> it is right there. That, right there in your face. That's like Superman, you know. It's just invulnerable, you know. It's it's just there. The cock of steel. Real, like what the heck was he doing right before they started filming that? You well, know? I think he was, you know, either, you know, banging Miramani or banging somebody or as he was known to do, you know, they'd had rehearsal and I don't think they were rehearsing the scene with Spock and McCoy. <laughs> and uh, he liked to, you know, rub up against the female guest stars. I guess so. Boy. It's quite amazing. So if you're interested in seeing a really good EVE, check and it out. And who isn't? And who isn't? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you got to watch this stuff. So I'll, I'll see if I can just post the YouTube video on um, the Facebook group so you can all look at it that way. Yes. So, yeah, about 20 seconds in, you'll see it. You can't miss it. No, you really can't. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know, it's almost like they chose the fabric with the idea of showing it off on his pants. Definitely. The pants are so tight, and that part is just reflective, like, yes. as, we, as we saw with Remember, the pants there were, in person. There are scenes where we say, look, his EVE has its own Kirk light. It really does, because the fabric is actually shiny. Yes. The, the, the outdoor natural light really, really picks it up. Really does. Mm. It does. That's quality so, television, kids. It absolutely is. You could just watch it. It's hypnotic. You could watch it over and over It again. is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Newsy stuff, um, let's take a little break. And then we've got some really juicy discussion topics coming up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. 
to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. And please visit us at the Look at His Butt Facebook page. Go. Johnny Carson. Those of you who are older will remember that Johnny Carson hosted a talk show. The Tonight Show. <laughs> yeah, for many, the many years. The talk show. The talk show. It was on for 200 years. And, and nobody really could. Good. They put talk show after talk show up against him. They all failed. They all failed. It was a really good talk show. Watching this clip was really interesting because it reminded me of what talk shows used to be like, uh-huh. which which they aren't anymore. Oh, no. Now it's all silly games. Yeah. So it's not actually talk. So this is 1982, uh-huh. and Bill was on the Johnny Carson show, and he was there mostly to promote T.J. Hooker. But he also talked about Star Trek and other stuff at the same time. And it's about a 10-minute clip, and it's worth watching because Bill is uh, more comfortable doing that than he used to be you know it's Mm -hmm. certainly not his sort of stiff i'm so serious guy that that he used to be but yet he hasn't fully moved into embracing his uh i'm a character on a talk show right so here's what he talked about and i want to mention the one thing at the end so if johnny was asking him about uh tj hooker what he's been up to lately he said that he had just hosted an improv night at one of the improv clubs in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And somebody got the bright idea of saying, you know, people are always saying the most interesting actors could just get up on stage and read a phone book. And so he did. Oh, no. How'd it go? <laughs> he didn't say. Oh! <laughs> I want to know how that went. I actually think he could have done really well with that mm-hmm. if he had approached it correctly, but he didn't say how it oh. went down. So Bill has actually read the phone book. So if that's another media conquered, I don't know, maybe. Well, okay, it's not as good as clickbait, but yeah. He did it. Uh, let's see, he talked about doing his own stunts. He told the <laughs> same story that we had heard before on TJ Hooker where he was hanging off. Uh, oh, he wanted to hang off the airplane wing, but they wouldn't let him do it. Yeah. <laughs> so he did get to do a little bit of being chased by an airplane, which they had to let him do. That was his uh, wrestling the tiger moment, I think. <laughs> He, and then he told the story about getting stopped because he was speeding. And then he told the other story about the rat in the camper and, and mm-hmm. trying to kill it with a, a golf club in the snow uh, when he was naked. Right. So we've heard those stories before. Now, here are the t- it was a really good interview. So 10 minutes, I encourage everybody to go watch it. But um, first of all, he was wearing white pants. Ooh. And when he turns around at one point before he sits down, you c- they are so tight you can see his visible panty lines. So that, that was interesting. Well, he was wearing panties, so. Yes, so he was. So that was good. Now, the other thing that I want to point out is that he's wearing on his feet <laughs> yes. white, white, shiny very, very shiny mules. I mean, I don't even know how else to describe them. They're backless clogs. Oh, wow. But like <laughs> bedroom slippers. Shiny yes. white bedroom slippers. Was this fashionable in 1982? Not that I, I remember. Not that I remember either. I mean, I was an adult in 82. Yeah. And I remember things. And I was just looking at his feet like, what the hell are you wearing? Who let you wear those on a talk show? <laughs> 
and he's sitting with his legs crossed so his foot with this thing hanging off of it is very visible in the whole shot <laughs> okay wow my my attention was fixated yes. on on his footwear so I would like to add, that would be a great question to ask him, although he'd have no idea what you were talking no. about. But I'd like to show him a picture and go, tell me about these shoes. <laughs> what, is, what is the story with these shoes? You oh, were they were the most comfortable shoes. <laughs> probably. That's probably what he said. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the shoes, that's what got me. So if you all want to watch this and give us your theory on why he was wearing those shoes, and maybe we missed a little bit of fashion that happened in 82, I don't know, but... There you go. Um, you know, I know a guy, I mean, briefly, like he's not one of my friends who a Star Trek toy looks like, but um, he was on some show so that he ended up being interviewed on the Johnny Carson show. Uh-huh. And he went, um, you know, he went out to Hollywood and everything, and he rented an outfit to uh, to wear on the show because really he, yeah you know he was a young guy he was a jerk really but you know he's <laughs> a young guy and wanted to look memorable and everything and so I w- watched the show in New York so this would have been right around that time eighty uh-huh. eighty one and I watched it with a friend and with his manager and we all went oh that outfit was a mistake <laughs> do you remember um did you you saw the Woody Allen movie Sleeper. Oh, yeah. Okay. Remember when he's he's in that, that suit that blows up, so he's kind of like flying yes. and kind of like yes, not? Yes. Okay. This looked like that when it was only a little bit inflated. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That was bad. So, yeah, the 80s were not exactly fashion nirvana. No, no. But still, I don't know. He could have just worn regular shoes. Yeah. That would have been better. That would have been okay. Well, you know what? It might be that, you know, he had these tight white pants he really, really wanted to wear, and all of his other footwear did not look right with it. That's probably true. You know, like I, he I, had brown shoes. and These yeah. these look horrible. I can't wear brown shoes. I got to wear white shoes with my white pants. Okay, well, I'll wear my white bedroom slippers. <laughs> Polish those up, minion. Really? <laughs> so shiny. So fucking shiny. All right, so that was that, and yes, the shoes. Okay, you want to talk about craziest Star Trek theories? Yes, this was in Screen Rant, and it was the 15 craziest Star Trek fan theories. (sighs) And and then the little, like, subtopic, so like it's a hashtag almost, is crazy. (laughs) God. (laughs) Because we didn't quite get the point. Okay, so most of these we have heard. Yes, I noticed and, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I figured you did. So we're going to skip over the ones like Spock is a descendant of Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Uh-huh. Starfleet is a giant military dictatorship. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. This one's kind of fun. Calculators don't exist. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, it says, uh, on a lighter note, the original series communicators look more like something we'd put cute charms on and text our buddies with in middle school. <laughs> and if the communicators looked a little goofy, imagine what the Star Trek universe's calculators would look like. We'll never know. They don't seem to exist in the future. The, Q, the, the crew of the Enterprise used something called an E6B. Do you remember this? No. Okay, me neither. Uh, and, and they show this picture of Spock holding a thing. I was like, what episode is that from? Oh, really? I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it, it, a device that looks and functions like an absolute 
obsolete, God, I can't read tonight, slide rule. What could the point be in using such an archaic form of computing several centuries in the future with nothing but super advanced <laughs> technology around them? Some fans suggest that human beings in the Star Trek universe just never invented calculators. <laughs> Or computers. Now, they did invent computers because we've seen it. Or iPhones with calculating capabilities. I I think... What? Those were called tricorders. Yes. But this goes (laughs) back to your thing about, you know, the the thing about what will it be in the future and all the computers were single function. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of an iPhone with calculating computers capabilities. Um, other fans believe that the uh, the old computing devices used to double check the equations of formulas that the advanced enterprise computers have already done to avoid any chance of error. There's also a chance that Spock is just having a is just a vintage fiending hipster. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. Okay. John Harrison uh, who, who is uh, Burger King Chicken Fries, played by Burger <laughs> King Chicken Fries, and turned out to be Khan. I'm just trying to catch everybody up in case they're going, who the fuck is John Harrison? Is based on Osama bin Laden. And um, it, that is actually kind of interesting. And it says that Star Trek's always been known for its political commentary. And in the film Into Darkness, Harrison, uh, Benedict chicken fries, is a trained terrorist that was essentially manufactured by Section 31, the enigmatic and shady section of Starfleet. Starfleet planned to start a war with the Klingon Empire, and we're going to use Harrison in their battles. Similarly, hmm, Osama bin Laden was trained by the CIA during the Cold War to be a terrorist soldier against the Soviet Union. Like Harrison, he went rogue and started his own group called Al-Qaeda and waged his own war against the U.S. The similarities between the two are hard to ignore, and this theory kind of goes hand in hand with the theory that Starfleet is a military dictatorship. The Klingons were a clear representation of the Soviet Union throughout the franchise, so is this really that far out? Well, maybe not. Now, here it's talking about Nibiru's aliens, and I don't have any idea who they are. Um, they're from the uh, into into darkness. Are they? Yes. Okay. They're in it for like two minutes. Oh, okay. At the very beginning of the movie, and then they don't count anymore. So okay. I don't even know. Let's why skip they them. Bothered. They're based on yeah. Scientology. Um, India and China were destroyed by Khan. This is kind of a long one, so we'll skip it. Uh, this one everybody knows and knows that it's true that Viger mm-hmm. and the Borg are connected. Yep. Uh, the more interesting one to me, though, is that uh, Viger and Nomad and the Borg are correct, connected. Yes, yes. Because they're, I mean, really, that first movie is just a long remake of uh, the Nomad episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, it is. Okay. Captain Kirk made humpback whales go extinct. And this one I didn't quite understand. It's badly written. That's why okay, you didn't understand good. it. Good. Explain it to me, please, because I spend all week rewriting bad writing, and I yeah. can't do it on the weekend. I, I had to read it like five times before I understood what it meant. Okay. So basically what they're saying was um, they took uh, Jillian, Jillian Anderson. Um, they took <laughs> – <laughs> that's not her name, I know. She's Dr. Somebody, Dr. Dr. Jill- Jillian – I don't remember her name. Let's just call um, her Jillian. Jillian, Kirk's would-be girlfriend. Uh, they took her out of our present and into the future. And because they did that, she was the only person who was interested in keeping humpback whales from going extinct. So because they removed her, 
the humpback whales did actually go extinct. There was no one else on Earth in the present to oh. keep that from happening. No, that's dopey. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. Okay. Um, Jean-Luc Picard is a compulsive liar, which we all know. <laughs> Star Trek was created by George McFly. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, the, nah. the, invent, the events of Star Trek are holodeck program dreams. So um, it's, 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 it's apparently that um, everything that happened on the Enterprise is simply a series of holodeck programs. Well, be sure, but that could mean that could be everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but they're saying um, some believe that I thought this part was kind of interesting. Zephram Cochran was never able to successfully create an operating warp drive. And in his depressed failure, decided to exist for the rest of his life as the spectator of a detailed holodeck program. Sure. Well, at least he, he picked a good one. Yep, uh, definitely. Klingons experimented with genetic mutation. We all knew that. Yep. Uh, Shaka Ri is actually biblical God. I thought with, that's what we were supposed to think. I think so, too. Okay. Yeah. Scrolling. Come on, computer. <laughs> this is the one I like, even though it's got a picture of Douchey Kirk. The Star Trek universe is trying to fix itself, <laughs> which means it has to break away from CBS and Paramount. But anyway... The 2009 Star Trek movie was The Bomb. And you know, when I read this at first, I thought it said, was a bomb. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but there's also a theory out there that asserts that the universe is trying to repair itself after the alternate timeline was created. The theory states that the universe is constantly correcting itself, and the events of Star Trek are no exception. When Nero destroyed the planet Vulcan, the universe began to piece things together in a specific way to protect its natural order. It does so by putting the Enterprise crew together to defeat Nero and restore the natural timeline. This makes little sense, sure, but it is rumored that the theory also almost made it into the final cut of the movie. The unfilmed scene would have shown Kirk and old Spock on the frozen planet, <laughs> old wrinkly Spock. I know, I can't help thinking of it, really old wrinkly <laughs> And really old wrinkly Spock would have explained, hopefully in better detail, that the universe is trying to correct Nero's mistakes and restore the natural order. This would have been interesting because that would mean that the universe is much more of a living thing, dare we say, godlike than we believe Ooh. that is interesting I, I thought that was kind of cool well and you know what else is interesting about it have you ever read the book to say nothing of the dog oh yes i love that i book. love that book too but remember the whole thing was you know it was time travel but at certain points these people are just like stopped dead in their tracks and finally they realize time is protecting itself at certain points yep. to keep them from fucking things up so i think that's actually kind of uh an interesting theory. Mm -hmm. I, I think so, too. I like that theory. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's kind of cool. I think, unfortunately, it's too uh, too subtle and sophisticated for the actual people who were writing the movie. Yeah. And the last one has to do with, I forget. I already scrolled past it. So, end of segment. <laughs> <laughs> That was interesting. Um, I definitely would encourage people to go read that because uh, it's it's pretty good. And if you didn't know about some of these other ones, like the Klingons doing genetic mutations, it's a little a good primer to that. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's fun and there's pictures. Yeah, there's good pictures. <laughs> is there a picture of Kirk in here? Uh, no. Except oh, for Oh, yes, Yungushi. there is. It's, Where? Oh, no, no, no. Number eight has uh, 
uh, Kirk from Generations. Oh, yeah, for the humpback whales one. But it's got yeah. two pictures of Khan and one of chicken fries says Khan. Uh, okay. Kirk's, <laughs> Kirk's making a funny face. He's got his lower lip kind of pushed out a yes. little bit. Okay, moving on to more what if. Yeah. What if Star Trek had never happened? Life would not be worth living. Nope. What if Star Trek had never existed? This is a long article, but it, it, it goes through so many different things, pointing, pointing out certain things that I, I really like reading about, which, one of which was the science fiction, with the exception of like Twilight Zone, which was on TV in the 50s and 60s, was all this, oh my God, look at that monstrous alien, kill it. You know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. And this was the first show to present on television what science fiction writers had mm-hmm. been writing in their novels, mm-hmm. which is, it's not about the monsters. It's about us. Yeah. Yes. And that, that was such an, an important um, thing because it had never been done before science fiction about us. So that was one of the, one of the things in here. Um, let's see. And oh, this one person points out that, you know, that was much harder to do and to imitate that than to, you know, do the, um, the invasion of the vegetables that they did on Lost in <laughs> Space and, and stuff like that. And they're saying that's really the crux, not the crux point, but the crux <laughs> of what made Star Trek different, especially for American TV of the time. It showed space exploration as a serious endeavor, one undertaken by a crew of professionals. That vision had existed in print science fiction for years, but it was extraordinarily difficult to bring to the screen. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, I, I definitely agree with that i'm scrolling scrolling yeah you know a twilight zone did do that sometimes Mm -hmm. you know the best of the twilight zone episodes did use science fictional elements to talk about us you know yes um, i think maybe the most uh famous example which you probably remember was the monsters are due on maple street yes that i mean that was straight science fiction Mm -hmm. and it was totally about the current situation in the United States and is a wonderful, wonderful episode. Yep. Okay. Their next thing is talking about whether or not there would have been star Wars. And I thought, who cares? So we'll skip on. (laughs) Uh huh. Okay. The next thing, a whole, geez, this computer. Okay. Maybe it's the person operating it. I don't know. A whole new era of fandom. Yes. One of the hardest scenarios to imagine is what science fiction fans would look like without star Trek. Uh, and uh, quoted in this article several times is Henry Jenkins. Yes, I saw that, which is awesome. Yes. I'm so glad. Star Trek proved to be a watershed event in the development of modern fandom, says Jenkin. and Jenkins. And it wasn't just because the show had hardcore devotees. It was because the show cared about them. Roddenberry showed the pilot at Worldcon and collaborated with fan campaigners like B. Joe Trimble on the letter writing campaign. Fans have been active in creating and shaping science fiction since the days of Hugo Gernsbach, whoever he is, 
he was the founder of science fiction. He published the first uh, astounding science fiction oh, uh, magazine. Okay. Yep. But Trek was the first big media franchise to engage fans in that way. And the fans reacted in, in kind by creating media-oriented conventions of their own. Mm-hmm. Isaac Asimov remembers casually walking over to the first Star Trek convention in the 1970s, expecting it to be a relatively small affair for maybe a few hundred fans at most, <laughs> says Lisa Yazek, a Georgia Tech professor and author of blah, 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 blah. But when he got there, he was surprised and delighted to see thousands of fans patiently waiting to get into a venue that, as it turned out, was far too small to accommodate everyone there. (laughs) And meanwhile, Star Trek gave a hypo spray full of adrenaline (laughs) to writers of fan fiction. In particular, Trek created a whole new genre of fiction, Kirk Spock stories, or KS for short. These stories in which Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock take their relationship (laughs) to a more romantic level Uh helped launch a whole wave of slash fiction that remains important today. And just as women felt empowered to write stories about love affairs between Kirk and Spock, they also became key members of the Star Trek fan community in general, Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Star Trek seems to have attracted more women to science fiction than any other speculative book, film, or television show, Jazek says. You know, one of the reasons I'd put forward is because there were women on the show. Uh, yes, I- definitely. In positions of responsibility. Yes. You know, they were, they were okay, there was Uhura, the glorified phone operator, and there was the nurse. But then there were also technicians, and a lot of the guest stars were doctors who were women. Yeah. You know, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't all Buck Rogers. Then here it is from Star Trek to STEM, talking about how it got people interested in, you know, the sciences and how many people were inspired to become astronauts and scientists mm-hmm. and engineers because of, of all that. Yeah. Um, But I want to read just this last little bit. And even more than attracting people to science, Star Trek helped change how people thought about exploration and discovery. At a time when most science fiction was pessimistic, a lot of 1970s sci-fi in particular was post-apocalyptic or dystopian, Star Trek insisted that we were going to move past racism and greed, notes Christine Maines, who teaches about science fiction at Mount Royal Universe. We were going to unite as a planet and move out into space and meet strange and alien life as potential friends instead of his natural enemies. That's the life lesson I won't forget, Maine said. And at a time when we were all worrying about the Cold War and the impending nuclear devastation, Star Trek showed us a possible future that was worth looking forward to. And here's the last sentence. And it's hard to imagine that we would have gotten all that from Planet of the Apes. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. So I thought this was really interesting that they, they looked at it from a lot of different angles. Yeah. I, I mean, I... I don't know that I've ever thought about that question. What if Star Trek had never existed? Mm-hmm. That's a really fascinating thing. You know, I wonder if something else would have taken its place, whether there would have been another person, not Gene Roddenberry, who had had a similar idea, because it kind of seemed like the time was right for that. Right. You know, it, it, it was just culturally and uh, creatively mm-hmm. time for a thing like that to happen. Well, when you think... How many, when they were, you know, going from Roddenberry's idea to it finally getting on TV, how many points of, of failure and possible failure there were? Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of astounding that it made it. 
Yes. I mean, even before being asked for the second pilot, being turned down by so many places and then have, you know, Desi Lou go, okay, yeah, we'll take a chance on this. And yeah. Yeah, it, it would. It definitely was. Um, but it, it's also, um, you know, what, what do they say? You know, when people are like, isn't it amazing that, that life arose on Earth because <laughs> it's just right? You know, yes. the Goldilocks thing. It's like, yeah, because if it hadn't, then it wouldn't have. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, Thank you, Dr. Lena. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or it would be different, right? And it's like, yeah, so if we hadn't had the Star Trek that we have loved for 50 years, we would have had something else. And maybe it would have been less loved or more loved. I don't know. It's possible. Well, you Always know, that's kind of like the, the theory about the Beatles, that the Beatles would not have been as big in the U.S. if Kennedy hadn't been assassinated shortly before that. Because our country was grieving and needed these happy, upbeat mop tops. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know either. I'm just telling you. Yeah. I don't know about that. Okay, that, that that seems maybe a little a little too far. But this is a good article. Yes, and I'm glad you're right. It's very well researched. They talked to a lot of different people, and it's very smart. Yes. This was, yeah, this is in Wired, so yeah. Okay, our final story. This is so much fun, but I'm starting to lose my voice, so you're going to have to read most of these. (laughs) But it's Dayton Ward's Secret Stories for 10 Trek Jigsaw Puzzles. This is great. And this is written by a guy, I'm assuming, named Dayton Ward, who says Mm -hmm. he's always loved jigsaw puzzles and and loves doing them, and um, that apparently he used to make up stories to go along with these scenes. So cool. And he doesn't still have those stories. So he just went, you know, online or wherever and found these old Star Trek jigsaw puzzles and now made up stories for them. So uh, why don't you start off? Oh, let's see. Um, uh, with, that, with that bit of warning, he says, this could get weird. Here we go. <laughs> so let's see. I'll have to describe um, what the picture is. So here's a puzzle and it's... Uh, Kirk and Spock that are fighting some kind of uh, goop monster. Yeah, so sticky thing. Sticky thing. So it doesn't have a face. It's just amorphous. And it's got like long tentacles that are wrapped around Kirk's leg and around Spock's hand. Spock's very green. And they're pulling another crew member up up into the air. Yes. So uh, the title of his self-created episode was Battle on the Planet Klingon. I have to point out something about the illustration of Spock. Yeah. They really fucked up the pointy eyebrows, and that's actually the hairdo Agent 99 had. <laughs> it's very beetly, isn't yes. it? Yes. It's got sort of Liza Minnelli spit curls. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy beam down to a mysterious world inhabited by sentient slime that can only communicate with other beings by attaching itself to them, clinging to them. Get it? Clinging on. Hilarious. <laughs> This usually ends up with the other parties being suffocated, which tends to be something of a deal breaker for any sort of diplomatic overtures. It's a sticky job, which is why you send your best people. Uh, FYI, the ship's laundry just ended up tossing these uniforms because, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll take one. Um, This next one is called The Alien. Yeah, it's good. And um, it's on the bridge, and there's this head... With laser beams coming out its eyes, and it's disintegrating a crewman, Mm -hmm. while in the background, Kirk and Spock are firing things at the alien head. 
yeah, Kirk sort of looks like he's about to fall over backwards. Mm-hmm. He's in a very awkward position. He definitely is. And honestly, I think the guy being disintegrated looks like Mitchell. He does look like Mitchell. I thought it was Mitchell at yeah. first. Okay, this is the alien. It's all hands on deck as the Enterprise encounters a mysterious alien vessel adrift in deep space. What at first appears to be an abandoned hulk is soon revealed as the prison for a malevolent entity cast out by the rest of its civilization tens of thousands of years ago. As one might imagine, the alien's pretty irked about this. Then it escapes its cage, seeing the Enterprise as an instrument of vengeance to be visited upon whatever remains of its civilization and anything else that stand in its way. Kirk even breaks out a phaser rifle, which should tell you everything you need to know about how serious this is, right? (laughs) That actually sounds like a good episode. It does sound like a good episode. They did an episode kind of like that on uh, TNG, right? That was the the uh, the skin of evil oh, episode. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, right at the beginning, that terrible, terrible episode. Yes. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to skip down a couple. You don't want to read wanna... Alien Dinosaur? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, skip away. Is it is it Kirk takes a spacewalk? I I, I was going to read the one under that. Oh, okay. Uh, because I really like the illustration. It's, <laughs> I can't believe it. It's from the because it's from the animated series. Okay, That's why okay, I like okay. it so much. So it's um, Chapel and Uhura. Uhura's got a phaser in her hand, and they're facing a um, alien dinosaur. And Spock has a little jetpack, and he's sort of floating in the air, firing a gun at it. And Chapel has one hand sort of with her wrist pressed against her forehead. It looks like sort of in an oh my, or like thing. she's gonna faint. <laughs> like yeah. So this is called um, Battle on the Planet Romulan. And he says, dinosaurs again, a civilization of advanced reptilians, the Romulans, capture Captain Kirk and all of the men from the Enterprise. Enterprise. Their plans for hostages are simple, less filling, and taste great. <laughs> it's up to Lieutenant Uhura, Nurse Chapel, and the Enterprise women to save the day and prevent Kirk and the others from becoming the interstellar equivalent of chicken fingers and mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Okay, which was again a similar plot to one of the animated episodes, right? <laughs> okay. where, where it was the where Aurora got to be in charge, which was awesome. Well, the Lorelei effect, yeah, that one. Okay, I want to read Kirk takes a spacewalk. <laughs> That's a great title. I love Kirk it. Kirk is his in face. his his uh, spacesuit that he wears in the Tholian web. Yeah, remember that with the helmet, and he is outside of the ship, uh-huh. and he's holding this shiny gold hexagon shaped box uh-huh uh-huh okay that's all but, we know but, this but is look called at his face oh, look yeah. how happy he is yes i'm out here he's smiling <laughs> like wee. <laughs> kirk takes a spacewalk aliens attempting to sabotage the enterprise have planted antimatter explosives aboard the ship and it's now a race against time to remove the threat and save the entire crew from total annihilation as batman could probably have told him in that epic crossover we never saw but actually should have received at some point there are some days that captain kirk just can't get rid of a bomb (laughs) oh man um, let's see. The next one I want to read is uh, one that's called The Invasion. Yes. So this has, uh, let's see, it's got a flying saucer looking ship in the middle with lots of energy uh, yes. illustration coming off of it. And Spock is just being Spock and sort of looking with one raised eyebrow. Kirk, who doesn't look like Kirk at all, he looks like um, he looked- maybe Robert Mitchum. I'm not sure. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
um, anyway, he's got his mouth open and he's going like, Arr! And I think really. behind him is Scotty going, look, this weird spaceshipy thing is coming down yeah. on us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Read us the story. Uh, Apparently, taking its lead from some of the adventures Captain Kirk and his crew faced in the pages of the old Gold Key Star Trek comics, here we have snowmobiles from another dimension <laughs> pouring through a rift connecting to our universe. Unfortunately, that link is now the only thing keeping both universes from succumbing to total entropy. As you can plainly see, Kirk reacts to this new situation with a calm and composed demeanor that will one day make him a legend <laughs> in the annals of Starfleet history. <laughs> snowmobiles from another dimension. It's true. I think you should read the next one. Force field capture? Yes. yes. Okay, this cover. Um, <laughs> I can't believe Kirk this cover. Is, is strung up in, in uh, hand, handcuff things hanging from the wall. Yeah, he's shirtless, by And the he way. is Important. shirtless. And there is something in a red cloak that's apparently on fire um, shooting power out of its fingers at Spock, who is sort of doing um a fossy pose not quite jazz hands <laughs> and they're they're um they're in a, a brick prison that has a window with bars uh-huh. okay force field capture at first glance <clears throat> excuse me it appears that the intrepid captain and his first officer once again find themselves trapped on a primitive planet that seems to take its cues from Grimm's fairy tales. Given Kirk's predicament, I can only guess he's being prepared as a peace offering for the local deity-slash-supercomputer run amok. I don't mind saying this particular image is a bit disconcerting. And this picture could have been called Kirk and Spock's Lost Weekend, for all I know. <laughs> The 1970s was a great time for all sorts of Kirk Spock or KS fanfic. And this little gem looks like it might just fit right in. Oh, you know, oh, you could have the- called it Kirk and Spock roleplay gone bad, you know. Uh, and the last line here? Oh, yes. FYI, Kirk's safe word is Corbamite. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, I want to do the next one. So this is a puzzle, uh, again, from the animated series. Kirk's sitting in his chair, not looking like Kirk at all. He looks barely like some, looking human. <laughs> he looks like some surfer dude or something. You know, Hora's yes. sitting there like, what? Spock is very, very green. He looks sick. And um, there's an alien that you can just barely see mm-hmm. in the right-hand side that's got, like, a cat head and a really long neck, and it's holding some kind of weapon pointed at Kirk. Kirk doesn't really look very concerned about no, it. No, not a bit. It's called Attempted Hijacking of the USS Enterprise and Its Officers. <laughs> see, little kids I- always have titles like that that are way too yes. long. <laughs> very explanatory. Um, at first glance, this one might seem self-explanatory, <laughs> but that's only until you learn that the alien hijacker is really just trying to get back to his home planet because he forgot to set his DVR to record the Meerkat Manor Marathon that's scheduled to run over the upcoming holiday weekend. I mean, sure, I can see not feeling particularly helpful toward a giant alien space cat with a laser pistol (laughs) if we're talking about something silly like finding Bigfoot or the Bachelor, but come on, everybody loves Meerkats. Even Spock thinks they're kind of cool. After all, he's the only one who's even close to smiling in this picture, right? And then the author's note, confession, it's possible this is where insomnia began to give way to fatigue and hallucinations. (laughs) Okay, space cats. Space cats. Kirk and Spock are tied up with what appears to be long shoelaces. I can't say I'm impressed with the 
the strength of the things, but they're tied up to a pole. Now, Kirk (laughs) looks like uh, the guy who plays um, uh, uh, Watson on the new Sherlock and is also the Hobbit. Doesn't oh, he? right. Martin Freeman. He Martin. looks exactly like Martin Freeman. And yes. Spock looks like Stan. He does. And what is that side eye he's giving Kirk or the monster or whatever? That is some serious, oh, like, well, sassy Kirk, side eye. Spock is on. sort of doing, this is a fine mess you've gotten us into. <laughs> and, and, a Sp- and Kirk is kind of like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And behind them is a, a space cat with a giant, with giant, giant fangs. And then yeah. there's another space cat um, with Scotty and somebody in blue running up behind it. And we see the Enterprise. We see, okay. Um, space cats beaming down to survey a newly, newly discovered planet. Kirk and Mr. Spock quickly fall unconscious. They awaken to find themselves tied up and awaiting what? Who captured them? It can't be the oversized felines wandering around the area, possessing no advanced intelligence or alien technology, and happy enough to keep rubbing up against Kirk and Spock. Then Spock sees the old bones and ropes lying on the ground. You just know Scotty's going to be mad about giant space cat hair everywhere. (laughs) Really? Who tied them up? Oh my God, that one's so funny. Okay, the last one. Um, this is uh, the publicity photo of Kirk, Spock, and the McCoy has been photoshopped in there because he's not in that picture. Yeah, it's where Kirk's pointing the phaser and Spock's got his communicator out. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen this picture a million billion times, and I don't know where they got the McCoy one from. Spock is cross-eyed, sadly. <laughs> yes. And Kirk doesn't really, he looks a little drunk. Um, mm-hmm. And McCoy's just like, what? And then the Enterprise is in back of them, uh, apparently using its phasers to destroy a planet. So I don't know, okay. maybe. This one gets major points for originality of title. It is. It's called Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. <laughs> Answering a distress call from another Starfleet vessel that's been attacked by a mysterious alien armada, the Enterprise is thrust into an alternate dimension. There, they discover the fate of all those Sears portrait studios that disappeared from Earth during the 21st century. It's awesome. This was so funny. Yes. So, so, so funny. I love it. Yes. I think that is the best use of, uh, of puzzles, jigsaw puzzles that um, I've seen in a long time. And apparently it was ex- inspired by that giant poster, which you can get a puzzle of, that shows all the various Star Trek characters. Yes. Yes. So um, that was great. Dayton. Dayton. It, what's his name? Dayton. Dayton, Dayton, Dayton Ward. Dayton Ward. Yeah. You know, it says in his bio here that he is the New York Times best-selling author or co-author of numerous novels and short stories, including a whole bunch of stuff set in the Star Trek universe. Really? I knew so, I'd heard that name somewhere. So I didn't know. Well. I'm going to go um, look and see what he's talking about. And this was also cross-posted at his, his own blog. Okay. So. Well, it's it's delightful. It's so, so full. And that's why we saved it for for the end, so we could go out on a giggle. <laughs> yeah, because it's just that funny. Now, I hope none of you are going to have dreams about space cats or snowmobiles from another dimension or, you know, just... It's it's just fiction. It's just, it's remember. just fiction. It's just a story. Yeah, just it's just a show, so you should really <laughs> just relax. Yeah. Everybody just relax, have a good time, have a drink. Watch some Star Trek. Watch some Star Trek. That's what um, Jack, the podcasting dog, and I are going to do. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to do it too. And um, you know what? Gosh, I've watched so much Star Trek recently. I feel like I have all these opinions now about episodes. We watched um, uh, Squire of Gothos the other oh, day. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a good episode that is. It is so, so very good. And William Campbell is fucking amazing in that episode. You know, I saw a picture of him. He was in a movie with Elvis. And I really? saw a picture from it. But then I also saw a picture of him... Um, probably taken like shortly before he passed away, you know, and he was uh-huh. aged and everything. You could still absolutely tell it was him. Such distinctive oh. features. He was so good. I mean, I I think he and, and Shatner knew each other because they'd been around and done some stuff oh, together. Oh, yeah. But they are perfect. Like the way they play off each other mm-hmm. and the way, you know, his character is is such a match for Kirk yes, in some ways, yes. you know, and so unafraid of him. And, oh, it's so good. Um, and after watching it, I am more convinced than ever that um, Trelane is Q. Yeah. Uh, like part of the Q. He has to be mm-hmm. part of the Q. Yeah. But you promised. Oh, so good. That really was one of the best twist endings. It was. Because, you know, oh. when the first time you saw that, you didn't see that coming, did you? No, no, not at all. No. Oh, no. There's an extremely funny bit at the end when Kirk's attempting to outrun him mm-hmm. and he um he breaks off a branch from one of the trees that's there yeah. and then he's sort of testing it and he breaks it as he's like just trying to see how strong it is and he throws it away and you can just almost hear him mentally he's like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this piece of shit tree. This isn't going to work. Give me a real weapon. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So okay, well, Turkey Day is coming up this week here in the U.S. Yes, yes. So um, we're all going to scramble around and try to find something to be thankful for. You know, I'm going to be thankful for Star Trek. Oh, yeah. I, now I, that we've I, thought I really about am. what the world would be like if we Without didn't it, have it. I think that we have to be thankful for Star Trek because Star Trek has been such a shaping and... Uh, you know, grounding influence in my life anyway. And a, for, that, a force for good in our A culture. force for good. I think without Star Trek, my life would be a lot worse. It really honestly would. We wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't. We absolutely wouldn't. And so many other people that I'm friends with mm-hmm. and things that have happened. And yeah, Star Trek has made my life a lot better. So I, I am thankful for Star Trek. Me too. Yeah. That's a good thing to be thankful for. Yes. So, folks, uh, thanks for listening. As always, send us email. Let us know what's going on. Check in over at the Facebook group to see all the fun stuff we're posting. And, um, you know, thanks. thank you. Thank you for being our listeners. And I am, I am thankful for all the wonderful people who have listened to this show over the years. And we want to wish you to live long and potluck. Especially on Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. See you, ne- see you next time. Bye. <laughs>